when you use a NFT domain, you can attach 50 different cryptocurrency addresses to it, right? And those 50 different cryptocurrency addresses can live on 50 different networks. And as things get more complicated, they could even be associated to, you could have like multiple addresses for your, even your Ethereum address. And they actually just go to three different places, maybe because you have a personal a business and then like a, a savings account or something. So that level of indirection is going to allow you to point to more things. And it's also much more future proof. So I think it really comes down to those two things is that it's human readable. And then that one extra level of abstraction makes it more flexible. So that's why I think it's the next step. And if you think about it, if you go back in time to 1990 or wherever before domain names, a lot of people associated their website with their IP address. They were like, what's your website? And they would say their IP address. And that's what they thought it was because they were the super early users. And I think it's the same thing right now with people using Ethereum is they, they're like, oh yeah, this is my wallet address. That's my ID or whatever. But this is the moment in time and everyone's going to eventually convert over to using something that's easier to share with others, just like they did with IP addresses 25 plus years ago. Welcome to the Unstoppable Podcast, the official podcast of Unstoppable Domains and the go-to place for everybody to learn about the latest innovations in Web3, NFTs, and the decentralized web. Join us each week to hear from experts, entrepreneurs, and the early stage investors that are building the future on the blockchain. Not only will this podcast help you understand why these emerging technologies are so important, but you'll also learn how you can become a pioneer in the metaverse. GM, GM, thank you everybody for tuning into the Unstoppable Podcast. My name is Josh Gordon, and I am the new host of this podcast. I'm so excited to be here. We've got Matthew Gould, founder and CEO of Unstoppable Domains with me. Matt, you've been the host of the Unstoppable Pod for the last you know, 100 plus episodes. So I'm really happy that we can have this interview and, and talk through some important topics around identity today to really kick off the next set of guest interviews we have about everything Web3, Metaverse, talking to people who are building dApps and the decentralized web. We're going to be talking to investors. We're going to be talking to creators and artists in this exciting space. So really happy to be with you and kick off the first episode. Glad to have you here. Looking forward to the next 100 episodes, if not the next 1,000. Heck yeah. That's the mentality. I can't wait to hit that milestone. To set the stage here for everybody tuning in, Every month, Matt and I are going to jam on Web3 and NFT deep dives. This month, the focus is going to be on the future of digital identity. And we've got a lot to talk through today. So if you want, we can just jump right on in and, and get to talking about this topic. And I know you're really passionate about it. Yeah, let's go ahead. Let's just dive right in here. I'll let you kind of take us to the top here and we'll see where we go. Okay. So, you know, I want to introduce identity as the subject of this podcast. And you and me have been chatting about this a little bit. And over the coming years, I think we both believe that digital identity is going to become more important than ever. I was doing some research prior to this recording, and I saw this Goldman Sachs report saying that the digital economy today is roughly 20 to 25% of the global economy. I mean, just seeing the shift of everything over the last couple of years, I think that's going to be even more and more in terms of a percentage going forward. I mean, just taking a time to reflect on my own life, I spend 10 plus hours a day online, which I probably spend more time online than I do offline. And just thinking about how that's going to translate into the economy and how I establish connections and relationships, how I do business online, I, I just see all this changing and digital identity becoming more important. I think so too. And what's happened is, is we've had crypto and blockchains, which allow us to have digital property. And that's really like the big unlock. And so, you know, I've said this lots of times, but we're in the middle of the digital industrial revolution. I spend 50% of my time plus online. But if I look at my assets, less than 1% of my assets are digital. And I think that those things are going to change, right? And I think that there's going to be just a massive development in the amount of property, the amount of stuff that people own online over the next few decades. And then we have to build all the tooling around making it possible to interact with all those digital properties. So I say this kind of jokingly, it's like millennials are like, oh, I never, I'm never going to be able to buy a house. And I'm like, oh, but you'll be able to have a house in the metaverse. I know that's, I know that may be cold comfort, but I'm, I'm saying that like, I actually think that the value of your digital property is going to go up a lot. And this is probably the generation that's going to end up generating and owning a large chunk of the future the future digital property boom that's happening. Like the people who are going to end up 
putting their flag in the ground for the metaverse are going to be this generation right now. And this is the real opportunity. And if you're trying to compete in the physical world, I think that you're at a huge disadvantage than competing in the digital world, because this is just a you know, greenfield opportunity for people to uh, establish themselves in the next couple of decades. Yeah. Crazy statement thinking about how we're going to be owning land in the metaverse versus the physical world. And it definitely, I think, talks on a broader subject of just this kind of wealth disparity going on in, in the younger generations right now and how unattainable houses are to a lot of people. But when you talk about owning property, I think we need to go one level higher and talk about like the identity that that property is associated to, right? And when you think through how we're going to be owning more and more digital assets, that just makes digital identity more and more important, right? Absolutely. And the thing is, is once you have digital property, you got to come up with systems for determining who owns it. So, you, you know, you need to have some sort of identity layer. You got to have systems for the data itself, like, you know, where it's stored. You got to have systems for access permissioning, and then you need systems for privacy. So all of these are like components of building this larger identity infrastructure that's going to happen right now. And this is what we're working on in the software domains. And, you know, we really think that your NFT domain is a very good contender for being your digital identity. And that's primarily because it's easy for humans to remember. And then you can associate a bunch of different pieces of digital property back to your domain. Like, you know, you have 50 different cryptocurrencies are associated back to your single address. And that's kind of where we think NFT domains sit. And we're actually really excited to kind of lean into this because this has been a missing piece of the internet for the past 25 years. You know, your normal domains are not really functioning as IDs for consumers. And this is something that I think NFT domains, because you own them, because they're, you know, on a wallet inside your phone that you have control of, that they have an opportunity to make this possible. And I think it's going to make life a lot easier too. You talk about associating some of your crypto addresses with your domain, but I want to almost take a step back here and talk about how the actions we take online across many different websites actually have fragmented identities. We go from Facebook to Twitter to Instagram to LinkedIn. And on each of these platforms, we log in. And on each of these platforms, we have followings and we have information associated to ourselves. You know, Then I jump over to my bank account and then I jump over to another website where I log in and pay for some bills, maybe utilities or cable internet, right? And all these applications, I have logins associated with me, but none of them talk to each other. Can you tie that to like that problem and that issue around all this information and data that's siloed from each other? Can you tie that to why these NFT domains are important and and really going to be a place, an innovation that's going to be evolving in the next couple of years? Yeah. So the reason why you have a login into every single site, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, Spotify, LinkedIn, all these different places. And the reason why you have 50 keys and all this other kind of stuff is because you don't have a persistent portable digital identity across all those platforms. And like the reason why you don't have that is there was no way to have a cryptographically secure and public portable digital identity before we had blockchains. Like, yes, you could have private key pair signings or whatever, but there was no way to have like a publicly accessible database so that any new app that wanted to use the identity system could do the lookup. And so that was really the innovation of Bitcoin is that anyone on the entire planet can look and see how much money you have. And then if you extend that to being used for things around identities, like anyone can take a look and see that you are this person that you say you are. No matter where they are, they can be in the US or Turkey or wherever, and they don't have to trust anyone in order to do that to do that check. And so that's a huge innovation. And that is not something that we had available until this technology got invented. And what happened was, because we didn't have a digital identity, well, companies worked around it. And so they used your email address. And then every company said, well, we'll just make a database. And then it just kind of got layered on top of each other. We have this thing where in computer science, if you see the same problem occurring at the top level, like in all this, like in a bunch of different places, it's because you got something wrong at the data model at the very bottom. And what happened is, is on the internet, 
the data model for the internet that everything is built on the foundation, we didn't have a way to create persistent identities across applications. And once you can do that, well, then you can have your one NFT domain, Matt.crypto, and you could use that to log into Facebook, into Twitter, into Instagram, into email, into TikTok. And then you can have one thing where you can take your data with you across all these different applications. And there's a lot more exciting things about it. But just think about how many different places you have to sign into, right? And if like, you're wondering what's going to be a use case for NFT domains in the future. Well, our login product, I think, is a very good example where, you know, SSO, that is consumer owned, right? And by you in your wallet, I think it's going to be super powerful. And if anything, it'll just relieve the problem of having to have 50 different keys and 50 different passwords. But as we'll talk a little bit more about where I think this is going, I think it's going to be much more powerful than just that. Great breakdown. Okay, so we kind of understand the problem, right, around digital identity, these fragmented sources, and how they can come together in a better way with NFT domains. Can you start walking us through now? Like, let's pull the differences between your wallet address and an NFT domain. You know, I think a lot of people associate their wallet address or even their Ethereum address as their identity. And an NFT domain can be so much more than just, you know, that address that's associated with your MetaMask, for example. So can you walk us through some of those differences? Well, I think the most important thing is that domains are human readable. I, this cannot be stated enough. When I'm talking to engineers, I think they they underestimate it. Like great UX is super important. Everyone who uses the internet goes to a domain now, like google.com. They don't go to an IP address. That makes it a lot easier to share information about yourself and to allow others to look it up. That's simply, if it did nothing else, that would be enough, right? And I think that that's a huge improvement that you need to have. But the other thing that it does, which is really nice, is because it's one level of abstraction above your wallet addresses is that it's called indirection, that ability to point to a lot of things. And then that's super useful. So like when you use a NFT domain, you can attach 50 different cryptocurrency addresses to it, right? And those 50 different cryptocurrency addresses can live on 50 different networks. And as things get more complicated, they could even be associated to, you could have like multiple addresses for your, even your Ethereum address. And they actually just go to three different places, maybe because you have a personal, a business, and then like a, a savings account or something. So that level of indirection is going to allow you to point to more things. And it's also much more future proof. So I think it really comes down to those two things is that it's human readable. And then that one extra level of abstraction makes it more flexible. So that's why I think it's the next step. And if you think about it, if you go back in time to 1990 or wherever before domain names, a lot of people associated their website with their IP address. They were like, what's your website? And they would say their IP address. And that's what they thought it was because they were the super early users. And I think it's the same thing right now with people using Ethereum is they, they're like, oh yeah, this is my wallet address. That's, that's my that's my idea or whatever. But this is the moment in time and everyone's going to eventually convert over to using something that's easier to share with others, just like they did with IP addresses 25 plus years ago. So, you know, we've seen this before. It's going to play out exactly the same way. And it's also going to be super empowering. You know, if we're going to get the non-crypto native people to start using this technology, it needs to be easier. UX is, is a very hot topic that I've seen discussed in everything Web3 right now, especially coming off the heels of a crazy 2021 in terms of adoption and growth and how we have literally millions more people interacting with addresses and sending payments and interacting with dApps, how that UX layer now needs to be improved really to propel us to that, that next wave of adoption. So it sounds like you really believe that the NFT domain is the, this cornerstone of your digital identity. And right now, we're going to associate different crypto addresses to it, right? What happens after we start associating like just your your address? Like how do wallets kind of play in, in this world too? Because on some wallets, you have a username there too. So I'm trying to pull apart now the username you might have in a wallet versus your NFT domain, which is your username for the entire internet. Yeah. Well, I think that's kind of like the walled garden approach. So you have like a username on Twitter, right? But it only works within Twitter. And so you'll see some of these usernames within wallets, but it only works within wallets. But what we really want is a username that works across wallets or across social networks. And so that's that layer of abstraction that I was talking about. So that's how I think it kind of relates to wallets. And then as it relates to addresses, you know, I kind of like a wallet is a collection of addresses, which is great. So wallets kind of like roll up your bunch of addresses 
but they're only the addresses inside of that wallet. So what you really want is to have some sort of persistent portable identity that could associate all of your different addresses across multiple different wallets. And then we can even get more complex here because it could be associating other data other than just blockchain data back to an identity that you have. So you could have even more data that's not even stored on chain that you would want to have associated with the name that may not be able to be found on a wallet. What I mean by that is like your blockchain wallet can only look up on-chain information, but there's a whole bunch of information that maybe you want to store privately off-chain on, on something like IPFS or somewhere else as well that you'd want to have associated to a name. So if you're going to have a name that's easy to remember and share with a bunch of people and that can have a whole bunch of different types of data stored on it, whether that's cryptocurrency addresses or your Twitter handle or something like that, you're going to want to use, I think, an NFT domain to do that. Thank you so much for making it this far into the episode. I really hope you're learning a lot. Now we just launched a new Discord channel within our server for the Unstoppable Podcast. In this channel, you'll find a cool surprise. So head over to the Unstoppable Domain server, find our podcast channel, and check it out. Oh, and you might want this password when you're there. It's Podcast Friend, P-O-D-C-A-S-T-F-R-E-N. That's all I'll say for now. So stay tuned for more passwords in future episodes, and I'll see you in Discord. Now, let's get back to the podcast. You really just jumped right into where I wanted to take the conversation around, all right, we established your digital identity and a little bit on why that's important. And one of the main reasons is, you know, human readable. We want to be able to interact on the blockchain, whether you're doing payments or you're logging into websites and and going through kind of applications, you want a readable name that you can associate with yourself. Once you have that identity established, now we have your data that we need to start linking to that identity. And you talked through some of that stuff, right? What else is, is that data going to look like that we associate? And you mentioned connecting some off-chain data. I think that's a part of NFT domains and digital identity we haven't quite touched upon. I see a lot of people talking about how your transaction history and the NFTs you own are going to allow you access to communities, applications, services, and especially with that composable nature of Web3, like as people start building applications, the NFTs you own and the history of transactions you have on chain may give you access to those other dApps, right? But when you start thinking about that off-chain data that we want to connect, how do you think through that in terms of where we're at right now and where we want to be in a year or two from now? So, you know, I think the first things that people are going to associate back to their NFT domain are going to be on-chain data, right? And that's what people are doing right now with cryptocurrency addresses. And But it's also other things that you kind of pointed out which is like your transaction history or what NFTs you own or what tokens. And, you know, that's super useful. Like if you want to be part of a community online and they want to know that you are active in the crypto community, they can look and then see that information that you've had in the past, which is good for whether or not, you know, if you want to join a DAO or something. But as we look forward to these things, incorporating more and more parts of our lives, then there's other types of information that they might want to have. For instance, let's say you have a DAO and it has a very large treasury, right? And you want to ensure that the people that are voting on it are not cheating to like get more votes or something. So maybe you want them to verify that they're unique humans. And there's there are some different protocols for doing this, like proof of humanity, for instance, or you could even imagine proving something like KYC information in order to you know participate in voting to make sure that you know governance is not being subverted. You have DeFi protocols, right? And I think it would be very interesting for DeFi protocols if they pulled important information about you, like credit scores, right? Because right now in DeFi, basically everything is a fully collateralized loan. If you look out into the real world, most people have less than full collateral loans. And there's actually a whole market for consumer loans that doesn't have any collateral. And you can imagine a future where like you have a bunch of transaction histories showing that you voted in a lot of DAOs and that you've been like an active participant on chain and everything. And then you would like to apply for a loan. Well, the DAO may say, okay, yeah, you're a great community member. We'll loan you 500 bucks. But you know, if you want to borrow $5,000, then we'd like to pull some additional information about you in order to make sure that we're being safe with our data. And this is that type of private information that people could share that you could tie back to an NFT domain in the future that I think could be quite interesting in addition to just on-chain information. And there's tons of stuff. Probably the first things that are come just to 
pick out some ones that are going to probably be earlier are going to be social networks. So you could verify your Twitter handle, for instance. So let's say you have a uh, famous Twitter personality and you want to participate in an NFT project. I see this all the time in the discords where they're like, I'm this whatever famous person, you know, like I would like to get one of these NFTs. They're like, prove you're this famous person. And they make you like DM them on Twitter or something. And then once they do that, then, you know, yeah, they'll try to make sure they can find someone in the community so they can get that person to join. And that would be something that'd be really nice if that was attached to an NFT domain, that off-chain information about Twitter, which is one of the things that we verify. And I expect several more iterations of that to make that process easier too. So I think social networks are probably one of the first things, but it's all about more and more things that you can add back to your NFT domain to build up that reputation. And then that reputation can then be leveraged across more and more apps. So it's a definitely, it's a positive feedback loop. A lot to pull apart there. It's interesting that you talk about social media as one of those first use cases for information that you want to associate with yourself. Because, you know, on all the different social media platforms, we have different followings. And you can be at risk of being deplatformed as a creator or not being able to kind of take those followings with you to different different sites. And I, I think that's important because the creators today have a really hard time monetizing on their audience, right? And just the tools we can build for how you can authenticate yourself, how you can associate your identity with different followings and bring them with you to different applications on the internet. I, I see being more important as we go forward. Yeah. Well, something that you kind of touched on there is like once that that digital identity is portable, you have the platforms have so much less power. And the way that it works right now is Twitter's like, oh, you got to follow our rules that will deplatform you. Or YouTube says like, oh, we're raising the rates that we charge on ads and you're kind of stuck, right? You just kind of have to, as a creator, you just kind of have to, you know, suck it up. But if it's very easy to port your following over and it's not going to be easy for a while, but assuming that you and all your followers had some form of digital identity and you could move platforms and you could move to more web three native platforms that are going to be startups basically that allow you to have that persistent identity. And when you make that move, all of a sudden you're free of this lock-in effect. And now you have these platforms competing for you as service providers. And there's not a lot of competition on social networks. And the reason why I know that is there's only a couple giant big monopolies. Everyone complains about them all the time. Nobody likes them. <laughs> and so like, if there's like a lot of competition at this level, then people would be more happy with their service. And I think that the fact that they're not is just proof that we have a we have monopolies sitting here. And one of the ways that we can help monopolies is break up their market power. And I think the best way we can do that is to allow consumers to be able to own their their profiles online and then take them with them across different apps. So I do think it is addressing this problem that we currently have with the internet. That's not, you know, that's not the reason why we're building it, but I do think that's one of the side effects of building a better system. Yeah. And while we're still on this data topic, what other sources of data might people want to associate with their digital identity that I would say is more more relevant to the average person because most of us don't like have these massive social media followings that we need to, you know, authenticate with, right? Some things I was thinking about were like shipping address, credit card, employer, are those still important pieces of information to tie back to like an NFT domain which could be your digital identity? I think so. And it's basically everything that you have to type on to a form online, right? So it's like every time you fill out a form, every time I check out somewhere, they're like, what's your address? You know, what's your credit card? That's some information that I think would be useful to have stored once. And then I don't have to retype it across 50 different places. And that's also information that would be great if I had as a part of my data. And it was something that I could build a system where I don't necessarily have to give that to the service provider, but I'm still able to give the service provider the information they need in order to do their job. So I think those are, those are great examples. If we're talking Longer term, I kind of mentioned a few earlier that I think are going to be useful for everyone, like credit. Credit score, I think, is pretty important. There's all sorts of places now when you check out online. It's like, hey, would you like to borrow money and pay this installments? So credit, I think, is natural. And then I think identifying information, KYC, proof of humanity. There's all sorts of rewards programs, communities, et cetera, where they're going to want to know that you're a real human being. And I think that'll build better social networks. Like one of the side effects that we don't think about here is we have lots of different misinformation or information problems online right now. I think a lot of the reason behind that is people don't have identifying information behind them. And if you look at it, 
there's, you know, some of these are produced by like 12 people or whatever will produce, you know, 99% of all misinformation on a given topic or something. But if you could see the reputation of the person making those posts, then I think that people would be able to make better decisions as well. So it's like, in addition to giving users more power online, it also, once you have a reputation, that reputation can precede you across these networks so that I think people will be able to make better decisions about the data that they're receiving. So that's also a kind of a side effect. And one of the problems we have on the internet today is, you know, it's hard to know is a review that you see online. Is that truthful or not? And if people had to have consistent reviews across all the different sites and they were tied back to a persistent identity, I could trust that Amazon review for five stars. So I I think that this is going to shine a light on a lot of areas of commerce that I think will improve your interactions online. We talked about how you can, as a user, as an owner of this digital identity, you can associate different data points to it. And we, we just covered a bunch of them. Your, your crypto address, maybe your like social media profile. And then you dove into reputation. How do you see like that reputation in terms of badges and the applications and services giving you these data points you connect, right? Like, would a, a future Yelp give you a badge that says you've eaten or you've reviewed at 100 different Yelps or 100 different restaurants associated with Yelp? And now because you have that badge, like you have that reputation. Is that kind of how the reputation works? Or am I thinking about it in, a, in the wrong way? I think that's a reasonable way for that to work. And people are already doing this. I think one of my favorite badges right now in the crypto community are these things called proof of attendance protocols, POAPs, and they just show that you've been somewhere. And like, I know if someone has a POAP for being at the Denver conference or the New York City NFT conference, like I know they know a lot about NFTs and I can see that very readily by just looking at their profile and saying, oh my God, I was there too, right? I have a conversation topic immediately. Well, Now imagine this on the internet, right? So like, imagine you go to a Reddit forum for motorcycles and you can see that a guy has a a badge for being at Sturgis, which is the giant motorcycle meeting in the middle of the country. I have not been. So, but I'm, I'm just saying like, you would immediately know that that person's legit, right? And then you could have another one maybe for your hometown. So if you're like from Decatur, Georgia, right? And you could have a badge for for being like actually physically attending something in Decatur, Georgia. And now I know that, you know, if I live there, that would be my neighbor and I would be very certain of it. So if I'm on an online forum, I'm like Reddit. Reddit has a lot of community forums, but, you know, does that person really live in my community or are they just commenting on my community that they're not actually there. And, you know, most of these things right now are moderated because we just trust people to be good online. And we're like, oh, of course they live there because they say that they do. But we've actually learned that's not the case, right? There's a lot of people with a lot of incentive to not tell the truth about some part of themselves and insert themselves into conversations, you know, for trolling or for other reasons, just to, to make these conversations to lower the overall quality of the conversations that you're having inside of these digital communities. And so I think that badges are great for that. And you could even imagine like, you know, a DeFi forum and it's like, oh, do you have a badge for doing at least 10 trades on Uniswap, 10 trades on SushiSwap, being in a pool too, you know, having been a part of this ohm, you know, or whatever, all these different things, you could see it. And there could be, you know, a forum for NFTs and it could really verify like, hey, how many mints have you been a part of? this type of stuff. And it's that reputation that gets built up. We take it for granted. You know, people have reputations in their lives based on their history. And if you think about it, we guard our reputation very closely, normal people, right? For things like their jobs, you know, on LinkedIn, on these other places. But when we go online, we don't have that same sense. You know, people just kind of, you know, leave a review or real quick or whatever. And what's happened is in this void, because there's a void for building value and reputation online, it's been filled by a lot of spam. And I think that like that will be addressed because we'll now allow real digital identities and real reputations to be built, people are just going to do it naturally. And then they're going to crowd out all of this spam that we're currently having in the space. So that would be my optimistic viewpoint around establishing online identities. Yeah. Sorry, I went off on a tangent. There. Go ahead. <laughs> no, I love it. I had a thought as you were talking about like the badges and the, and the reputation. And one thing I'd like to make more clear for the listeners is, so with, with POAPs, right now, I believe when you get these proof of attendance, you know, NFTs, they don't actually sit in your your wallet. You can view them on the POAP website. I could see badges, and maybe that's just the term we're using for this reputation verification right now. 
is you could have literally thousands of them. And do those just sit in your wallet? Or how do those actually tie to your NFT domain? And I ask this because right now I feel like a lot of our NFTs, whether it's art, collectibles, you know, music, a PFP avatar, they just sit in this wallet and it's like this big folder of just a bunch of things, right? And the NFT domain is is a separate NFT you own and we want to associate all this data with it. So do these badges just sit in our wallet or do they get organized and indexed within our NFT domain in a really much more, I would say much more readable or even going back to your UX comment, just a better user experience so that you can then take those and interact with dApps across, you know, the Web3. Yes. And I think some of them are going to be minted on chain, just like you can mint some POAPs on, I forget which blockchain they're using, but it's not Ethereum. It's one of the other ones. So you can actually mint them. But I think some are going to be on chain, but I think what's actually going to happen is what you're going to store on chain is proof of these badges that you have. And then that can be checked against the data that you're providing. And this is this is basically what rollups are trying to do. And what all this technology is supposed to do is trying to like pack more stuff on chain. So on chain, instead of storing that 80,000 different badges that you have from everywhere where you're online, you actually just store an aggregate like checkpoint that says that these, these badges were verified at a given point in time. And then you're gonna be able to share those badges like a link to you know your OpenSea profile or a link to your OAP profile or any of these other systems off-chain where they could be pulled in and aggregated. So yeah, there's a lot of work to be done around aggregating badges that they can all be performed off-chain so that that can reduce the transaction cost for doing those. But I think they're going to be on and off-chain. And you're probably right. The majority will probably be off-chain just because it'll be cheaper. Gotcha. Okay. So And that's really where the value of this NFT domain comes into play because you can use that domain and associate the off-chain data with it, which then gives you access or credibility, and and that's your reputation, whereas having thousands or hundreds of badges minted on-chain and sitting in your wallet may not be the feature you envision. And so like, if that were to be true, that makes the value of an NFT domain or having one for yourself even more important, right? Because you need that connecting point to the reputation that you can carry with yourself across the internet. Correct. And and you're going to want to have something that's on-chain that is associated with the things that you have off-chain. Because you're going to need to have an on-chain endpoint, you know, identity in this case, where you can sign to prove that all this off-chain data that you're saying is accurate. And what's going to happen is the people who store all that off-chain data are also going to sign and then store proof on-chain as well so that people can verify it. This way, they don't have to take your word for it. So what do you say to the people who are like listening to this three minute segment and listening to us talk about on chain and off chain? And and they say, well, if you have data that's off chain, all of a sudden, how is this any better than Web 2, you know, or the world we already live in? And maybe we've already said it, but how can you address that comment, you know, right there? around the topic we're discussing right now. Yeah, so what you wanna be able to do is verify the information. And that's the big thing that you get from these blockchain systems is that no matter where you are in the world or no matter what your application is, you have a public record that you can go check to verify that information. So it would be great in a perfect world if we could just store everything on chain, but there are data limitations around stuffing things onto blockchains. So instead of having to store every piece of data on chain, we're gonna instead store verifications of that data. And what you really wanna know when you're checking something is, is it true or is it false? So for instance, if I know that you're like CryptoPunk1927 and you say that you own it, I just want to know that you own CryptoPunk1297, or in this case, Board 81297. I don't necessarily need to have the image of the Board 8 on chain. And actually, CryptoPunks did put the image on chain as a funny fact of history, but I think Board Apes are still 100% off chain on their picture itself. But that's not important because what's important is I know that you own it. And if you're standing outside somewhere and you're trying to decide if this person gets to come into the conference, you know, for Board Ape holders, I don't care if they have the picture of the board ape. I care that they are the owner of the board ape. And that's what I'm going to use to permission them into it. And then on an identity system, you could even see that's more true, right? I really don't care for an identity system if you have the picture of all the badges that you own. If you have 100,000 badges for, you know, and you have a Stack Overflow badge for like doing 100,000 commits or something absolutely wild, I don't actually care if you have the picture of that from Stack Overflow. That doesn't really have a lot of value. What I care is, is it verified by Stack Overflow? And can I check it on chain to make sure that, that you actually are a super coder or not? And that's the thing that's important. So that's what we're trying to track online is 
verifying the parts of the data that are the most important. And then the pieces that are, you know, ancillary to what we're trying to answer, it's fine if those are off chain. That's helpful for me to think about, because for a while, I think that I was in this camp of everything needs to be on chain and like your, your on chain record rules everything. And I wasn't quite drawing the linkage to how you can connect some off chain data back to your like on chain identity. So I appreciate that. So we've kind of walked through now this starting point of NFT domains as an identity. And then we've talked through how we can add different data to it and associate with that identity. Now, that brings us to the next phase of this process, which is permissioning and how you permission access to that data, whether it's to you know a service, a DAP, or just anything on the internet. Can you share your thoughts around how permissioning will work and, and why this permissioning is also a novel feature of digital identity? Yes. So what happens is, is once you have your digital identity and once you have your data, so you've got your property rights and you've got your reputation system, permissioning allows you to do more than just whether you own it or not. So as an example, I could permission someone to rent you know, my board ape for, you know, a couple of weeks or I can permission someone the copyright for my board ape to display in their advertisement online for a period of time. So it allows you to do more, right? Because if you have digital property rights, you're not just going to want to be able to buy and sell them. You're going to want to be able to lease them, rent them, allow others to use them, allow them to be viewed. So this is where permission comes in. It's a way for you to do more with your digital property and also do it much more granular at a much like smaller level than maybe you otherwise could. So what's interesting is there's also kind of a tie into privacy with permissioning where it's kind of like you want some people to see it, but not other people to see it. And the way that crypto systems are built by default is you're the one and only owner. And so no one else has permission to your Bitcoin, right? And then we want it to also be by default that it's 100% private. Now that's not the case for a lot of blockchain networks yet, but that's kind of the goal, the gold standard. And then in order to moderate those two things, so you're going to start off with the base layer where you 100% own it and then it's 100% private. And then you're going to have permissioning and privacy protocols on top, which will allow you to do different levels of ownership. Like maybe you and I both own it together inside of a DAO or something like that. And then also allow me to disclose my information. So maybe I want to have my doctor be able to have access to my healthcare records for this time period, but I don't want anyone else to be able to see them. So that's how I kind of see permissioning and privacy layered on top of your data and your digital identity. I feel like that's such a such a unique thing that we're not really thinking about yet in our current, just our current usage of the internet uh, in terms of how you give access to other people or companies or services, how you give them access to your data, and then how that A, allows you to like monetize off of it or be just, we right now on the internet don't really get to choose what websites see from us. We kind of always have to opt in. It's like, if you don't accept these terms and conditions, you just can't use Facebook, you can't use Twitter. And how could any of us, some people probably say, oh, it's easy, I just won't use it, right? But that power is really all in the hands of, I would say the companies and these large organizations that dominate a lot of the services we interact with versus now all of a sudden you're talking about giving people the power to choose how they lease, rent, monetize, authorize the data they have. That seems very important that shouldn't be glossed over, right? Yeah. And the thing is, is a lot of Web2 companies are scared of this new Web3 model where users own and control and have agency over their data because they don't know how they're going to be able to monetize it. Like they don't know how they're going to be able to, you know, exchange with users in order to provide services. And so, you know, just as a pretty like straightforward example, like if everyone online is private all the time, like how could they serve you ads? Right. And like, for me as a consumer, like my immediate reaction is, well, I don't want you to serve me ads. So that's totally fine. But if you really think about it from like a business context, like how are we going to have commerce online if people can't be able to communicate information they think is, you know, be able to advertise you in order to get you to shop at their store or what have you. And the answer to that is to allow people to grant permission to apps to, to see their data. So if I log into like Wayfair.com or one of these e-commerce stores, or maybe like a clothing store, and they ask me like, hey, you know, we'd really love to improve your shopping experience. <laughs> like, can I get your shoe size and your clothing sizes and, you know, your favorite color? And this is all data that could be stored on my profile. And I can permission access to that data for that application. 
And I could even permission access to that data anonymously. So they don't know it's actually tied to me. They just know it's like, this is the profile of a person who's coming to visit my website and then generate a better site experience. And this is good for me and the app. You know, we can even take that one step forward, which I think we're going to see start to happen with rewards where like, maybe it's my first time ever shopping at that store and they have a discount for first time customers. So, you know, here's 30% off because it's the first time you've ever bought a pair of shoes at our, um, at our store online. And I can prove that I'm a first time customer because I have KYC data about myself that shows I've never been there before. And so that's, that's where we start getting this exchange happening. And right now all these web two companies are reliant on Facebook and Google, right? In order to drive the, their top of funnel. And we see this ourselves at Unstoppable Domains. And like, you know, we're reliant. It's like, oh, you know, please, I need to be able to buy Google ads and Facebook ads in order to get customers to come and buy stuff. And we're going to move from that model to more like a, where they're focused on improving their product for customers. And so when you find out about those sites or you'll be able to share data with them and then they'll be able to offer you specialized deals or site experiences based on the information that you share with them. So I think it's a much more polite way to interact online is to give users agency and then offer them goods and services based on the information that they're sharing with you instead of right now we have these social networks that are kind of harvesting this data without permission. And then they're selling it kind of like behind the, behind the scenes off to the side to make money. And so I think it's a much more transparent way for users and apps to interact. And it is a threat to web two standard business practices. I think that's a good thing. I feel like I have 17 questions just after listening to that, I guess one is, and maybe that's more of a comment, like the traditional way things are done with ads and, us getting ads as we scroll through Instagram stories, we get an ad, if, you know, on Facebook, I'm on YouTube, I'll get ads that that's not going to go away anytime soon. And I don't think that you're necessarily saying that should be gone tomorrow, right? It, it sounds like to me, what you're saying is now web two companies can add this additional way to interact with people, which is, look, we can we can serve you an ad, but we can also say, if you come to our store and connect your, you know, your, your NFT domain, your digital identity, now we can even give you more customized offerings to really reward you for like being a customer with us. Is that right? Or do you really see it as one or the other? No, no, I think that's right. I think one of the things you're hitting on is like discovery. So that's like another component. So if I log into a website, I think that I can also share data about what I've done on other websites, which is not something I can currently do. And so for instance, if I logged on to Uniswap, I could share with them other DeFi exchanges that I've traded on like SushiSwap. And then they could know that like, I'm a very qualified customer, right? And then they could offer me an even different deal. And then you could imagine recommendation sites for things because search and recommendations can get significantly improved if users can bring their data to the party where I'll be able to plug in my ID when I'm searching on Google if I want to. And then that way when I'm shopping, like it just goes ahead and filters out so that I'm searching for something that'll fit me, right? Or something that's in my geographic region or something that will be delivered within the next 24 hours and improve those both search and discovery experiences. And it can also generate recommendations based on my profile because they can they can take a look at where else I've shopped and they'll know not to suggest me, you know, something from a place that maybe I've left a bad review on. So we'll see exactly how far it goes, but I think that user data significantly empowers discovery recommendations and referrals within your network. But we'll see We'll see how that builds over the next couple of years. So you mentioned users being able to benefit from the rewards and maybe the really specialized offerings they can get once you attach, essentially, if you give permission to a company to access your internet activity, right? They can give you a really specialized offer. They know Matt just bought a house because he has associated that information with like the mortgage company you're working with to your digital identity. Now Wayfair can say, Hey, here's $10,000 like store credit or something like that. Right. Is that the only way that users can profit off this? Or is it also profiting by just like giving the website access to your data? Cause essentially Facebook, Google, you know, they're, they're selling our data. Right. But if I were to give Facebook access to my data, what am I going to get a penny less than a penny? You know, it, is, is that a reward that we should be considering too? Or is it just these targeted more promos? Yeah, we've had some companies try to do this, get paid for your aggregated data. So I would point out Brave and they've been very innovative here. So this is nothing against Brave. And like you search online and then you get paid and their tokens and it does come out to like pennies because it's, 
what they're doing is they're, you know, counting on click-through rates of, you know, so like they count on a thousand people seeing those ads so that they can have one person click through. And then that's only worth a penny. But if you are much more targeted in your ads so that I know that this is exactly the right person, then instead of a penny, I can offer them uh, $10, like directly on my website when they've connected in. So this is one of the problems that you'll actually have a lot of Web2 people comment on Web3. They'll be like, oh, your data is not worth anything, right? And that's what they'll, they'll literally say that to you. And uh, I think they're just wrong because we know for a fact that companies are paying anywhere from five to $500 for customer acquisition on Google and Facebook. So if they're willing to pay that much money per customer acquired on you know, every business that exists out there on the world, just think about that as an individual. Like I could imagine scrolling through a bunch of pages in the future and then they could say, you know, based on the information you've provided to the search engine, you know, here's all the discounts that you are approved for across all these different sites. And then I could just go and see which place I want to go to and shop. I think that the value of the data is just so much higher because it's direct one-to-one from person directly to the app. It's also accurate, right? So when they're buying this data from Facebook and Google and everything, that's only accurate so much. Like, you know, 30% of people use ad blockers. Maybe they've got your IP address confused with someone else at your workplace. And the data is not about you specifically, right? It's about someone who fits your profile. That's true. Yeah. And, and and they also can't ask you to fill in the gaps. Like there's no back and forth when you're filling that in. So like I could imagine a scenario when I'm uh, logging in with my digital identity in the, in the future and they're like, hey, you know, do you happen to know this extra piece of data? Like, for instance, we would love to be able to also check your credit score when I'm checking out at a furniture store online. And I could say like, OK, yeah, I will. I'll go ahead and go through that verification process and, and then give that to you guys as well so that you can then offer me an even better discount than you were going to do two seconds ago. We don't really have that interaction right now between applications and users online because there's no good way to be able to prove that identity and there's no rails for that data exchange. And, and so that's, you know, when we talk about it on the engineering team, like we want to build the connection pieces between your digital property, your digital identity, your reputation. And so we want to build those permissioning and access systems to really make that happen. Yeah. Well, we've walked through identity, the data, how you permission, and we touched on privacy around that data. And then we talked about the the marketplace and the future of how you might be able to actually profit financially off the the data that you're associating with your, your digital identity of yourself. So that was all very insightful. I'd like to ask two more questions before we get to the wrap-up section of this pod. And one is, a lot of the topics we just discussed are not here yet, right? The ability to associate really a full picture of your digital version of yourself isn't quite here. You know, now we have these NFT domains, but now starts the work of other companies and the composable element of Web3 and of people building services and features that really tap into that potential, right? So given that it's not here yet, but you do see that in the future, why should someone acquire a digital identity, an NFT identity of themselves today, given the fact that some of these future applications aren't quite here yet? And maybe that answer is, I suspect, I'm just going to guess, is it comes back down to the human readable element of it. And at the end of the day, when you're doing any type of crypto transaction, step one, it needs to be simple and human readable, but maybe you have a different answer. No, that's exactly it. I was going to say, like, if you believe that all 3.5 billion people are on the planet are going to use crypto in the future, and I think there's a lot of people who believe that now, then I think you also believe that every single one of those people is going to want to have an NFT domain to make it easier to send and receive crypto. So that really is the first use case for these digital identities is sending around cryptocurrency. And most new technology has a a use case that just makes a lot of sense. And everyone runs that technology for that use case. And then it gets built on over time. That's what I think is happening with NFT domains right now. It's great. I mean, worst case, if not all of these things come true, some of them will. Uh, But I do think ultimately that like, definitely it's going to be used for payments. So you can't go wrong just having an NFT domain to make it easier to send and receive crypto. And then all this other stuff would just be interesting things that could potentially happen over the next decade as these systems get built out. Beautiful. All right. And to wrap it up, I've got three rapid fire questions. And you know, since you'll be on the pod a lot with me, I assume we may have to switch these up every now and then. But today I'd like to ask, who's an influential Web3 creator, entrepreneur, collector that's inspired you or educated you? 
Well, I mean, I got to say Vitalik Buterin is the original. And I remember reading his articles in Bitcoin magazine eight years ago. He was very inspiring at the time, just trying to talk about where the future of crypto was going to go. And this is before a lot of these pieces existed. So he was definitely very inspirational early on in my crypto journey. Yeah. And favorite NFT that you own? Uh, it's got to be my profile penguin. <laughs> Shout out to the penguins. All right. And then in a succinct way, maybe in five years, what's the craziest thing people will be doing in the metaverse that we're just not thinking about yet? And if you want to associate that answer with identity, that's cool too. I think that we will have a virtual world's real estate bubble. So, and I think that that's going to be pretty interesting to see people buying and flipping virtual land. I know people are already doing this now, but I think people are underestimating the value of these digital networks. And just like we said very early in the podcast that we thought 1% of your assets are digital and like 50% of your time is online. I think that this is one of those areas people want to like a virtual place. They need place or location in their lives. I could be wrong though. Some of these have been around for a little while. That one's pretty pretty speculative, but I think that might be a fun thing out there. So we had the DeFi bubble, we had the NFT bubble, and I'm looking forward to the virtual digital worlds land bubble that, that may be coming. Awesome. Well, me too, as a millennial, I'm looking forward to the virtual real estate bubble myself. And then lastly, to, to close out, is there anything you want to you know, let the community know around where Unstoppable is heading around digital identity or anything we can expect next? Yeah. So something that we really want to do is we want to help bring crypto to the mainstream. Um, and so when we were looking out there, like what things do we have? Are we potentially able to solve better than other people's in the, in the space. And one of those things is really uh, regulated products. So one of the things you're going to see us working on this year is uh, KYC around things like proof of humanity, or even fully verified KYC for some of these DeFi applications. We're at a moment in time now where Crypto is really great for hardcore crypto users, but it's not good for you know the 95% of people that are ultimately going to use these protocols. So we're going to try to bring more verifications on. We talked about some of these verifications here. And so Unstoppable Domains is going to focus on those. So I think the types of like real world data that people are going to want to bring on chain for the digital identity, that's where we're going to focus and spend a lot of effort to try to make that a lot easier for people to get access to. And then we're also going to build up, open up a lot of tool sets to help those people who are building you know, crypto native applications to more easily plug in. But we think that around the regulated products is probably an area where Unstoppable has a, an, an advantage in the market, or at least we're the ones who don't mind doing the grunt work. So that's where we're going to put some focus. Awesome. Well, Matt, I really appreciate you walking us through digital identity today. I think I learned a lot around how all these topics tie together and really painted a picture of why an NFT domain is important. It's a lot more than just flexing it on Twitter as your name to let other people know you're crypto native. It really is going to be the cornerstone of my digital identity. And as someone who spends more and more and more and more time online, I think that's going to be important to me and a lot of other people too. So appreciate the explanations. We can all find Matt on Twitter at matt.crypto and feel free to tweet at both him and I for topics you'd like to see discussed in future episodes. Matt, I, I really am excited to do our, our monthly deep dives on Web3 topics. So you're a brain that I would like to keep on picking and getting knowledge out of. So thank you guys. All right. Well, that's it for this week's episode. We'll catch you next week. Peace out. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Unstoppable Podcast. If something we said today resonated with you, please leave us a review, subscribe, and share this with your friends. And remember, this conversation doesn't have to end here. Tweet us your questions, thoughts, and ideas to Unstoppable Web. I look forward to hearing from you, and thank you so much for listening.